I've been thinking about this day for a long time. Life, I've become convinced, especially over these last several months, I've been thinking about this, that life is a series of moments. It really is when you think about it. You look back at your life already, and when you look back at your life, it's moments, moments in time that provide significance. And we get this one moment on a continuum where a grain of sand on this continuum of eternity, we get this one moment to make a difference, and then we slip out into eternity. And I know for myself, there's going to be a day when I can talk about what I did or what I was a part of, but today I want to be about making memories that ultimately will be the story that I tell in the future. And it's easy to be so fixed on things that have already taken place that that's where our excitement lies, that that's what we spend our energy on and talking about the good old days or something that once took place when I believe that there are more thrilling things to come. Our short history, in fact, at Northwest has been great, but I want you to hear me say this right up front this morning. I firmly believe this, that our best days are yet to be lived here at Northwest. I really believe that. Do you know that every year there are approximately 3,500 churches that close their doors? 3,500. And I have asked myself the question, in fact, I've asked the question from this stage before, why is it that 3,500 churches close their doors? And I would suggest to you this morning that it is because those churches have lost their mission. They no longer have a purpose for existing, and so they cease to exist. They close their doors. It's as if nobody seems to need whatever it is they think they have to offer. And while we have a lot of churches, statisticians who look at churches and look at the health of churches tell us this, that most existing churches have either plateaued or they are dying a slow death. In fact, Charles Cheney, who was the former vice president of the Southern Baptist Home Mission Board, said this, America will not be won to Christ by establishing more churches like the vast majority we have now. In fact, he went on to say in that article, if we're going to reach this country, if we're going to reach this globe with the life-changing message of the gospel, then our strategy has to change. Our message is constant. But our strategy has to change because most churches have indeed lost their mission. They've lost their zeal. They've lost their their very reason why they started and why they existed in the first place. So it begs the question, why do we need another church like that? And I would submit to you that we don't need another church like that. And so it was in the fall of 2006 that a small group of us gathered together and we asked the question, what would it look like to have a church where Christ followers were growing in their understanding of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, while at the same time they were being challenged that their lot in this life is not just to simply occupy this planet. They were left here for a reason, to make a difference, to be an influence for the cause of Jesus Christ on this planet. What would it look like to be a church where people who were seeking answers to life's most significant questions, where those people could come in and they could actually feel safe asking those questions. Then you've heard me say this a number of times, what would it be like if messed up people thought that they could actually walk in the doors of a local church, they would be met where they are and they could find answers and they could find help. 
we asked ourselves the question, do we have to choose whether we'll be a safe place for those who already have a relationship with Jesus and being a place where other people will come to know Jesus? Most churches, in fact, if you look at them, and if you visited a number of churches, I believe you'll find this to be true. Most churches seem to believe that they have to decide on one extreme or the other. Either they're a place for Christ followers to grow or a place for other people to find Jesus. And we simply said this. It wasn't rocket science. We just simply said this. We want to be both. We want to be a place where people can grow up in their faith while at the same time somebody could come in and ask the most significant questions in their life about it, what it means to have a relationship with the God that they were created to have a relationship with. We believe you can do both. And because of the mandate that Jesus left us in Matthew 28, it demands that we not only reach people with the message of the gospel, but we grow them up in their faith so that they can be influencers in this community with the life-changing message of the gospel. That is the mandate of the gospel, is it not? Now that should get a couple amens. We, we were not saved just to simply say, I got a little ticket in my pocket. And now I know that if the trumpet blows, that somehow I'm going to be taken up. And so I got my stuff taken care of, and I'm just kind of now going to occupy until Jesus comes back. That wasn't it. If you thought that that was, when you walked in the door, that that was it, you were sadly mistaken. This life is more than just a little ticket getting you out of hell. God then leaves us here to bring, to bring him glory by the way that we live our lives and to draw other people to him. And so we said, what are the characteristics of a church that would look like that? And every Sunday morning when you come into Northwest Community Church, you see those four things. We said it's got to be a place where people feel like they belong. I have uh, been forced to go into healthcare.gov. And um, I know this. My name is not William Brian Eisner. My name is a social security number or some other 47,000 character thing that they give me on the telephone. I am not personally connected with anybody at healthcare.gov. They just want to know a number when I call there. And don't you get tired of going into places and all you are is a number. Nobody knows your name. The church shouldn't be that way, my friends. The church ought to be a place where when you come over a period of time, you get to know people and you live life and you do life with people. It ought to be a place where you feel like you belong. It ought to also be a place where you're growing. If you're the same a year from now that you are today, I'd leave and I'd find another church. I've said over and over and over again, there ought to be times when you walk out of here and you go, I can't believe he said that. How dare he think that I'm that way or that I need to change this. You ought to every once in a while feel that tension. If you don't, if you're not growing in your faith, you ought to find someplace else. Because we are not, we're not saved just to stay stagnant. Justification is a moment in time. And as we've talked about in the book of Galatians, sanctification is a process. and ought to be taking place constantly. We also said it ought to be a place where people serve. And not because they're beat up like mules and they're told, you need to serve, you need to serve. And if you're not serving, we're going to your house. We're going to throw eggs at your house. You need to serve. No, we, ought, we think it ought to be a place where people say, God's gifted me. I'm going to find my place in this body. I'm going to serve. I'm going to find places in the community. Newsflash to the church. It's not just inside the church. It's in our community. We believe people ought to serve inside, outside of our church family. And then lastly, we believe we ought to be reaching people. 
And I'm so thankful for the stories, for the faces that I see right here, right now. And I know you've come to faith in Jesus Christ since you've been at Northwest. That's an awesome, awesome thing. We ought to be reaching people. We ought to be reproducing ourselves. There's no greater health of a church than to look at the people that are being reached. If everybody gives a testimony of, I came to know Jesus when I was five, then there's something wrong. There ought to be people constantly coming into faith in Jesus Christ. That new life is what brings vibrancy, just like that nursery this morning where there are crying babies over there and little filters are being changed and all of that. You may look at that as a nuisance. I say that is health. That's new life, right? And the same thing is true of of new life spiritually. We ought to be reaching people, and by the way, not just reaching people here in Cary, but reaching people all over the globe. And so I want to just remind you that these first years at Northwest, in my mind, and so if you don't feel this way, don't tell me, because I love this little thing that's going on in my mind. In my mind, it's been awesome. It's been really great. But I want you to hear this at the outset. My prayer is that our dreams and our vision will be much, much bigger than our memories. Let me say that again. My prayer is that our dreams and our vision moving forward will be much greater than those memories that we have of what God's already done because I believe God's still going to do some really incredible things. And so we've been in the a portable church since we started here, since we launched at Panther Creek High School in the fall of 2007. And the school has been, has been great. It's been a blessing for us to use this facility each year. Here's what some of you maybe don't understand. The problem is we pay about $5,000 a month, $60,000 a year, just to use this facility for about four hours on Sunday morning. Well, there's words for that, but that's a lot of money, all right? That's a lot of money. And this limits other opportunities that we might have the other 164 hours out of a given week. This limits uh, those opportunities. And the concern is that all along we've been saying to ourselves and and making sure that we believed this, that we want a building to use while at the same time we want to maintain those values that I just gave you. We don't ever want to be known as uh, a church with a building. A facility is never, ever, ever to be a monument or a memorial, but it is a place that is to be used for influence. We've said that since we moved in here. It was very easy to say when we moved in here and we didn't have any people and we didn't have any money, therefore we could afford no building. So that's a great philosophy to have at that particular moment. But I want to say to you that today we believe that as much, if not more, than we did then. The problem is that most people in our community don't see a church as a viable place to go for help, and that's very sad. That would be like saying in the physical sense that most people in our community don't see a hospital as a viable place to go for medical care. (laughs) That'd be horrible, right? And you'd say, that's what we exist for. And I'm convinced that the church is constantly shouting out, hey, we're here, we want to help you. And the world is going, no way, we're not going to come in there. We don't want what you have. We don't see you as having the answers to our most significant problems. And so surveys tell us that as many as 60% of the population would never consider visiting an average church. And so we've said all along that we're going to have to be a place where the church gathers, certainly, but we're also going to have to be a place where the community goes for help and for hope where they literally encounter Jesus at the crossroads of their life. 
we're going to have to be, and we're going to talk about this over the next several weeks, a place and a people of irresistible influence. And so our staff and elder team have been asking the questions over the last year. What if our building was a place where we as a church gathered to worship and grow, while at the same time was a place our community viewed as a place for help and for hope? A place that we designed and we built and we paid for, but a place that, would, that existed for the purpose of impacting and influencing not just those who currently claim to be Christ followers, but those in our community that we desire to reach with the gospel message. And so we said this, imagine if our community, in fact, knew our campus as a place to go for help and for hope. Imagine if when they thought of, I'm in crisis, I need help. I need help with my teenager. I need help with this. If they immediately thought, oh, I'll go to Northwest Community Church. They can help me. It would be much like going to the hospital for physical care or going to Harris Teeter for groceries or going to Old Navy for clothes or uh, certainly going to Lost Trace for Mexican or Dunkin' Donuts for a donut. You, you, you get the point, right? What if in the same way people viewed our campus as a place to go in their times of greatest need. If you need help with your marriage, there are classes and there's counseling that's available that's led by followers of Jesus. If you need help trying to figure out how to be a great parent, or if you're not even worried about how to be a great parent, just how to parent, there's coaching available that is based on the timeless truths, the timeless principles of God's word. Are your finances a mess? There's a few of those people in our community, maybe right here in our fellowship. Well, there's Financial Peace University class that's offered. Are you struggling with addiction? Recovering from the loss of a child or the loss of a spouse to cancer? If you're trying to figure out how to put your shattered marriage back together or your marriage has been shattered and, and you don't know where to go from here, then this is the place where you find those answers. In other words, we said this, what if our campus was the place our community thought of at some of the biggest moments in life? Maybe moments even such as weddings and funerals. It's amazing to me how many churches don't want to have a wedding. <laughs> Yet it's supposed to be a Christian ceremony. We pick it in front of, for other, op, uh, other issues related to marriage, but we don't really view marriage as that important. And so it's almost impossible to find a place to get married. Any newlyweds here that would say, hey, I agree with that, I've been there? What if we were the place where people thought, man, significant moment in life. I want to get married there. Um, or in a death, I want to have a funeral there as a place to remember this one who has gone ahead of me. And so over the past year, we've been asking God to give us a piece of land where we can do just that. See, I think it's really great to decide on a philosophy, to decide on a, on a strategy, and then to say, okay, let's go look for that piece of land. Rather than finding a piece of land and go, hey, let's shape a strategy based on that piece of land. We've done it just the opposite. We've said, this is what we want to be. This is what we want to do. Now, God, would you give us a place where we can do just that? And what we're here to share with you this morning is we believe that God has done just that, that he has answered those prayers, at least some of those prayers. He's still got uh, many, many more to answer, but at least, uh, at least he's answered that prayer. And so if you've been around Northwest for any length of time, you know that we began the process of looking for land and, and building uh, quite a while ago. And we, we said this, we said we wanted God to do something so big that only he could get the credit. I've always been intrigued uh, by the phrase in scripture, but God. 
In fact, I've used it many times here at Northwest, and um, up until this weekend, I thought that was kind of unique with me. I, I thought maybe even I'd write one of those really little books, not a big book, just a little book, that I'd write a little book on just the, the but God statements in, in Scripture. And then I did a Google search this week, and I realized some clown's already written the book, and I'm just really <laughs> torqued about that. Because I don't have many ideas for books, but that was going to be it. So there's other people that are intrigued by those statements in Scripture where Scripture goes on and on and on, and then it says, but God. My favorite one is Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you, were, in once, you, in which you once walked. You were following the course of this word, world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And I read that and I go, oh man, I am messed up. And if you stopped right there, you would go, this is horrible. What a horrible place to be on this planet. And that's who I am. And I love verse 4. I get goosebumps. I've read it probably a thousand times. I get goosebumps when I read it again and I look down and I go. In the next phrase, Paul write to the church, wrote to the church at Ephesus, but God, you are so screwed up. You were hopeless and helpless. And then God says, but I love you. I love that. And so we said from the beginning, hey, wouldn't it be great if God did something where we could only sit back and just go, well, obviously God did that. Because there's some pretty smart people here, but nobody that smart. God would have to do something really big. And so we wanted the vision to be big enough so that we looked at it as impossible, but God. You get that? To, to some of you who have been around for a long time, you get that, because we've been talking about that for a long time. So in April of 2009, we signed a contract that we would take a, a house and two and a half acres uh, right up here on Carpenter Fire Station Road. We signed a contract, and and uh, uh, Joel Carpenter and I negotiated that contract, and, and I, I won't say we. Joel was smart enough that we put, a, we put a clause in there that we had an option to buy the house in two and a half acres and, if we wanted to, a whole 20-acre tract of land. And we just thought that was going to be the place God was going to allow us to build a church. And uh, we found out uh, about a year ago, after a long year of negotiations, that wasn't going to be possible. And it really doesn't matter why. Uh, I can tell you at the time I was ticked. I wasn't happy. Uh, we had gone all the way through the economic downturn. We hadn't looked at a piece of land. We thought, we know where our land is going to be. So while literally I had realtors calling saying, hey, we got this piece of land, we'd go, hey, no, we know where God's going to have us. We didn't look at anything. And all of a sudden, then about a year ago, the market started to take off again. And guess what? We found out we don't have any land at all. And that's when in my carnality, I would sit in front of our elders and I would go, how could they do this? I would, maybe we should... You know, and we just go, but God. Remember, remember, Brian, you said, but God. But God, let's let God work. And so last spring, while I was out uh, driving looking for church land, you guys do that every once in a while, don't you? I mean, you just go out and you go, I think I'll look for church land. I'm out driving. Uh, in fact, I remember it uh, really well. It was in the spring. I had the top of my Miata down. I was just driving. And, and I wish I could be so spiritual as to say, I was just praying, God, just lead the car where you want me to go. Park it. I will call the owner and we'll claim it for Jesus, for the kingdom. I wasn't that spiritual, but I came up on this corner and I thought, man, that's a beautiful corner, man. And there's the tobacco trail and there's copper leaf backed up. And that would, wouldn't that be awesome? And I went home and got on the Wake County maps and figured out who owned it. We called our realtor and, and we said, hey, we would, 
we would love to we, we would love to buy one corner of that property. It was on two corners and then across the street. We thought that 20 acres right by the Tibet, that'd be really awesome. And they said, well, we might be willing to sell it to a church, but we don't want to give you that corner. We'll give you this corner and we'll talk about that corner. And I kind of thought, well, I don't want that corner. We want that corner. And so we, uh, I went back to a couple men in our church, Ed Tang, Ed's here this morning, and Joel Carpenter, who I'm sure will be here in the second service, and I just said, hey guys, what would it look like, you guys do this all day long, what would it look like if we bought all 60 acres, and then we found a partner to take the part we couldn't afford, and we built a church on the corner that we wanted, and we let everybody else take everything else. And they said, hey, not only would that maybe be possible, but we might actually, potentially, be able to work it in a way in which we could, our, we could acquire our land for very little cost to us. And so we began that journey saying maybe this is that but God moment. Maybe God will do something so big here that only he could get the credit. And so our first hurdle was that uh, the property was located on uh, three different uh, pieces. You had two corners, and then you had a piece across the street. And, and um, it, it just so happens in God's sovereignty that our first hurdle was to contact the homeowner who had, uh, just a few years ago, bought about 14 acres to the south of our corner. And at the same time, she owned property across Morrisville Parkway. And that was about 14 acres that we would have there. And so we said, wow, it'd be really great if we could swap that property with her. She would then have contiguous property across Morrisville Parkway. We would have contiguous property, and wouldn't that be a great thing? And I prayed, and I expected her to say, yes, hallelujah, thanks for the offer. And she didn't do that. Her initial response after a month, a month was, uh, no thanks, not at this time. And I thought, well, maybe God's closing a door. So wanting to make sure of that, Jill Carpenter and I paid her a visit one Friday afternoon. And I, in my most passionate pastoral vo voice, tried to convince her of why this was an awesome thing for the sake of the kingdom. And I'm not too sure she bought into the whole kingdom deal, Joel was sitting with me, and she's known Joel for years and years and years, and she said, Carpenter, what would you do? And he said, I'd already signed the deal. And she said, well, I'll think about it. I'll let you know on Monday. And Monday morning, we got an email, and she said, I'll do the deal. That was a huge, huge deal. Uh, without that exchange, uh, this, this, what I'm sharing with you this morning would not have been as, as possible as it is right now. It would have been a lot more expensive. Our next step was to find a builder developer who would, who would purchase approximately 35 acres of the property for residential uh, development. We needed a company who had the cash to actually close the deal uh, while at the same time uh, had integrity and great business practices. And if you do business in our world today, that's not necessarily always a given. There's great builders out there who don't necessarily have integrity and good business practices. And so Ed Tang, our resident civil engineer at Northwest, every church needs one, Ed's ours. He'd been working for years with a developer out of New York City. And um, Ed said to me, he said, uh, I think we should first discuss our plans with this particular uh, developer, a uh, developer by the name of Baker Residential. Last uh, August, I had the opportunity to meet Joe Conlon, who's the vice president for development for Baker Residential. And I explained to him, uh, who Northwest was and our vision for our campus to be a, a blessing in this community. Uh, little did I know, and I couldn't have even thought this way, especially, not to offend New Yorkers, but especially knowing he was from New York, this guy's a follower of Jesus. And he loves Jesus as much as I do. And I'm sitting there talking to him and I'm going, dude, I think you, I think you have kingdom values. Like, I'm not sure that you just care about business. I really think you care about what I care about. And we kind of sat there, and Ed and the other guys sat across the table, and it was like, man, 
there was like this, don't take it in the wrong way, there's like this bromance that's going on. Because I'm going, this dude gets it. And I'm looking up going, God, how could you possibly have given us a potential partner uh, like this? We came to the end of that lunch, and I said, on a scale of 1 to 10, how interested are you? He said, 10, or your partner. And I went, wow, I think he's pretty serious about this. And in a few weeks, he got us a contract, and God showed up again. And he placed a follower of Jesus in a place of influence and authority. I was reminded again about our study in the book of Esther, right? Where Esther said, maybe God, or Esther came to the conclusion, maybe God's placed me in this particular place with this authority as a, as a follower of Jehovah for this moment. And so several weeks later, we signed a contract with Baker Residential to purchase approximately 35 acres of our land. The contract states that they will buy the property, site plan approved, which will happen sometime late summer, early fall. We're going to do a simultaneous close with them and with our seller. And here's the incredible part. The final cost of our land is going to be very, very little. Can't exactly share with you the numbers, but it's going to be very, very little. Here's the really cool thing, all right? You better get excited about this. I'm already preparing for it because if you don't get excited about it, it's not going to be pretty, all right? We won't need to raise any additional funds for our land. Isn't that awesome? No additional funds will be necessary. All of the gifts that are given in our capital campaign over the next three years will actually go to build a facility on that property that God has already provided. Now, I need to tell you, there are a lot of moving parts that are still in these contracts. Uh, this week, in fact, on Thursday, be praying at 6.30. There's a town council meeting. We're going before the town council as the first step for annexation and rezoning uh, of the property. So pray. There are details that still have to be worked out for our city sewer. You need to pray. Wake County is under contract just uh, uh, literally, I think about a quarter of a mile down the road to purchase 20 acres for an elementary school. You need to pray like crazy that that contract closes because if it does, they've got to have sewer. And when the government wants sewer, sewer comes, all right? That's been my experience in my 48 years of life. If the government wants it to happen, it will happen, all right? So pray. So we asked God to do something big that only he could get the credit for and no doubt, he's done just that. And so people in years to come are going to look at that piece of property that's nestled there right by the tobacco trail, and they're going to say things like this to some of us. How did you ever acquire that property? And we're simply going to answer, but God. Right? And here's the fact. Most churches our age would have a capital campaign just to acquire land. And God has been so good to provide us with our land, valued, get this, at somewhere between two and a half and three million dollars. And I think really I've become convicted myself that I believe God has placed that into our hands and now he is saying, now what are you going to do with it? It kind of reminded me of, of Luke chapter 12 and verse 48 where the statements made, everyone to whom much was given, of him much was required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. God's given us something, and now I believe it's our opportunity to do the next step. And so based on what we've seen God already do, we collaborated with a great group of architects and designers to create a master plan for a campus to become a gathering place, a destination, and a place of influence in our community. And while this campus will be our home on Sunday mornings, it's also going to be used, our intention is, all during the week to be a blessing to this community. 
And so we see our campus being utilized for intentional relationships and community influence uh, uh, from the moment we move in, even in phase one. Here are a few of the ways that we think that, that God may use it in phase one. We want to leverage our location on the American Tobacco Trail to become a destination for our community. I want kids to come by our campus when they're walking with their parents on a walk that they did not want to go on, and I want them to see our playground, and I want them to go, can we go to that playground? All the other playgrounds in the area are cheesy compared to that playground. We want to have uh, relaxed outdoor seating areas around fireplaces and around the playground and hopefully a pond where people can go just to, 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 to talk, just to watch their kids play in a playground. We eventually want to have a cafe that's open throughout the week to the public. Uh, we want that kids' playground, by the way, to be, as I said, we want it to be the, uh, the I don't know what the kids are saying today, but in, back in the day it was, we want it to be the bomb, right? I mean, we want it not, if you're older people, not literally a bomb, all right? But we want it, we want it to be a place where, where kids go, man, that's where I want to go. Churches typically have cheesy playgrounds. No cheesy playground. We want a playground where kids want to come on our campus. And when people say, well, I don't go there to church, we go, hey, it's not for just church people. This is to be a blessing to our community. We want to have meeting rooms and event spaces that, avail that are available for community uh, use. Depending on how our capital campaign goes, there's a water feature that's built into our master plan. And we would actually love to see that be a pond that is actually stocked with fish where moms and dads can come and bring their kids without HOA police running around going, get off the lake, get off the pond, you don't live here. We want to say, hey, come, come here. We want you to do that. We want you to enjoy that with your family uh, right off these other recreational facilities that our, uh, our campus will be located next to. I'm really excited about that because I love to fish, especially where I know that there's fish in there and they're like begging for food, right? It's pretty awesome. Side note, don't ever, don't ever go up into the mountains and take your kids um, to those uh, trout ponds. Okay, rip off. Because your kids catch one, and they will catch one, and they weigh about 30 pounds, and it's very expensive, all right? I've paid like $150 for fish that we never ate, just for the thrill of catching them, all right? For us, it's going to be free. Just, just a little rant that I needed to have right there. For, and if you've ever owned a trout pond, then I don't take offense, but that's really how I feel. Our phase one building is currently planned to be approximately 15,000 square feet. And that, again, is based on a lot of assumptions that we've made with what we think our capital campaign might be like. And this space is going to provide indoor spaces for the following activities. We're going to have a 300 to 350 seat worship center with removable seats to allow that room to be multi-purpose during the rest of the week. Small and large classrooms for our Northwest Kids ministry, usable during the week for other purposes a lobby and gathering area, which uh, is hopefully going to include a full-service coffee bar and indoor seating areas that can also be utilized during the week. The first phase budget, by the way, includes a significant amount of necessary site development work, driveways, obviously, parking, other outdoor spaces. So it's, it's pretty expensive on, on phase one. And here's the truth of the matter, that while we've enjoyed meeting at Panther Creek, We'll have full use of this building in campus 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year, rather than just four hours on a Sunday morning. And so while our auditorium space will be smaller, it'll be ours, and we can use it all during the week. And so we have a master plan 
layout for the future of what the whole campus would look like. I stress these are concepts. And uh, we want you to, to pray with us that God will continue leading us as our, as our ministry grows. And we're going to evaluate then continually what the needs are of our body and be very sensitive to what we believe God is leading us to do as we seek to be a place of, of influence and blessing in our community. One of the things, and I'll talk about a little bit more next week, that we'd love to see a chapel built in the woods. I'm really passionate about this. I want to talk to you about it today, but I'm going to run out of town pretty quickly. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week, but a chapel that could be used for weddings and for funerals, a place where we could gather for uh, corporate uh, prayer. Just a beautiful setting in the woods that a lot of church campuses nowadays don't have because we just have functional buildings rather than places where we typically think that we go to meet with God or at those significant moments in life of, such as weddings and funerals. We ultimately, you've heard us talk about, we want to have a counseling center. I'm very passionate about that. I want us to have a place where we have first-class people on our staff that are trained. they got paper on the walls that say they know what they're talking about, and they love Jesus, where people can come for counseling help with regards to marriage, parenting, addictions, other recovery type counseling uh, that's needed. Ultimately, we, we really feel like built out, we'll build a worship center that will seat about 750. And uh, phase one then will be converted to our student ministry building and an expanded cafe. We'll ultimately build a children's uh, ministry building. We'd love at some point to have an outdoor amphitheater, not only for us as a body, but for our community uh, as well on this side of town, rather than having to go all the way to the other side of town. Probably won't be Coca Booth, but hey, but well, we got the killer playground. And we'll probably have a recreational recreation field as well. So I know you're asking yourself the question, where well, how are we going to pay for it? <laughs> That's a great question. Here, here's what we've sought out to do. Our desire is to have a measure of faith while being fiscally responsible. You know what a difficult thing that is? <laughs> I've wrestled with it personally. I'm going to share with you in a couple weeks just personally of what it will mean for me to commit to this project so that I am fiscally responsible yet I have a measure of faith. And we're trying to do that same thing as a church. Our idea is why have a big facility and then have no funds to serve the people of Northwest or this community? That'd be kind of crazy, right? So that we got this memorial, this monument, but we have no money. You know, we sit on the floor, uh, Indian style, kind of cross-legged like that because we can't afford chairs. And it's really cold because we couldn't afford heat. And it's really, really hot because we can't afford air. And so we're confident that just as God has provided this incredible opportunity for this property, we're confident we're going to be able to pay for it. And we estimate that phase one will cost approximately $3.9 million. Now, that includes the road improvements that we're going to need to do, the water, the sewer, the land development, the site amenities, the landscaping, the building, the design fees, furnishings that we need to move in, all of those things. Now, what's really interesting to me is that God's given us almost half of the project already before we write one check individually which I think is an incredible thing. And we've been working with a stewardship consultant since last fall, and he's been a tremendous help to us in developing our plans. And several months ago, he let us know that we could raise about $1 million in a three-year pledge. And I looked across the table at him, and I go, are you, like, insane? $1 million? That's all you think we can raise? And he got a little bit offended at my insinuation that he didn't know really what he was talking about. 
which is probably, he probably should have taken offense to that. I mean, it's what this guy does for a living. He flies all over the country, meets with churches. He's working with several churches in our area. And he said, look, based on your attendance, based on your giving, that's what I believe you can raise. And I said to him, you don't know these people. You don't know Northwest. And he goes, well, there's a lot of people that aren't going to buy into the vision that you have. And I said, look, we've been, dude, we've been talking about this for two years. I mean, if people don't buy into what we believe God wants us to do, I would hope that they would have gone to another church by now. I think they are going to be excited. And he said, well, you're setting yourself up for, for big disappointment. And so we continued to wrestle back and forth about whether Northwest was capable of giving $1 million in a pledge over a three-year period of time. And so since we couldn't agree, we decided to compromise. And the compromise was, well, it cost $3.9 million. Let's let that be the goal. And um, he once again said, you're setting yourself up for great disappointment. And I said, well, hey, maybe we won't get $3 million, but I guarantee you we're going to get more than a million. And I told him, by the way, he knows this this morning. I wish he was here. I told him I am going to throw him under the bus every opportunity that I have. I know some of you are going, you are mean, all right? And he said, man, I hope I'm totally wrong. He said, I hope I have to come back and just say, man, this is the first time I've ever seen this happen. I go, well, you will remember Northwest. I really believe that. When we're done with this, you're going to remember Northwest. And so we just said, why not simply just tell you what phase one cost? Phase one cost $3.9 million. That's what it costs. God gave us land worth two and a half to three million. Phase one costs $3.9 million. That's what we need to have. Now, we'd love to build debt-free. That would like be one of the most exciting days in my life. In fact, as I said, we weren't supposed to talk about the past. We were supposed to look at the future. I would talk about that an awful lot, all right? That would be a really exciting thing. And, and um, we don't know whether God will choose uh, to do that or not. And we're obviously looking at, at other options. We obviously know that we could carry uh, a mortgage. We know what that amount of money is so that we can still be fiscally responsible and have enough money to continue doing ministry like we're currently doing it because we do not want our ministry to people to suffer as we build a campus. And so we're committed to moving into this building prepared for new opportunities to impact this community without cutting ministry budgets in order to fund the basic operating expenses that we'll have. And so on March 23rd, we're going to be committing as a church family to give to this vision and uh, Here's the bottom line. I want us all to be a part of it. You may sit here today and you may go, hey, you don't know my situation. I know a number of your situations. I really do. Matt and I, we, we know people. We know that there are people here that we're struggling. We know there are people here that we're helping right now. Last week, by the way, you gave $3,500 in our share offering, most of that being cash that was given, right? And we started spending it right away with a young mother, with a handicapped child, we, we, we start spending right away. And we're going to keep spending. This week, we're going to send $1,000 down to Kenya for famine relief. All right? I know that there are some of you that are hurting. There are some of you that need help. There are a lot of others that God has blessed you in an incredible way. And this is the moment. Over the next few weeks, here's what I want you to do. I want you to simply do what I've already started doing for several months. I want you to pray, and I want you to consider how you can give over the next three years to what we've talked about here, not to a building, but to a strategy that says we want to be irresistible influence in this community and how you can help this vision become a reality. And we're going to ask you, by the way, on March 23rd to do that in two different ways. One is going to be a kickstart gift that kind of helps us get the process started. It's a one-time gift on March 23rd. And then we're going to ask you to consider what could you do over a three-year period of time. And I'm sure a lot of you about this point, if you don't, then... Man, I'm really good. 
I'm sure you've got a lot of questions, right? And, and I want you to know, I don't care where you've been, what your church experience has been. I want you to know, some of you already know this about me, I love questions, all right? Um, you ask your questions in the right attitude with the right spirit, you won't find a guy who will spend more time with you one-on-one answering questions and dialoguing about this stuff. Why? Because uh, I care about you, but I care about what we're doing here, and I believe in what we're doing. So if you have questions, I want you to take the opportunity to ask them. I'm going to be in every life group over the next several weeks, over the next month, and that'll give you a good opportunity to ask questions. And if you're not in a life group, now would be a great time to join. There are other times when some of you just want to talk one-on-one. You can buy me lunch. That'd be awesome because, hey, we're in the midst of a capital campaign. Or I could, uh, I could buy you lunch, and we could talk about that. But we want to dialogue. We want to talk. And don't just think, well, they only want questions if, if we're against something. I'm assuming everybody thinks this is awesome as we do. That's what I'm assuming, all right? Now, I get, I live in the real world, 48 years, 25 in ministry. I get it, all right, uh, that some of you might have other questions. But, man, if, if you're just thrilled and excited, just send me an email. That, that's good enough, too. You say, I don't have any questions. I'm just pumped. And I'm going to be praying about what God wants us to do. And as you leave the auditorium this morning, we're going to give you a brochure that will answer a lot of the questions, and it's going to review some of the information that I've covered this morning. And so I just uh, simply want you over the next several weeks to be on the journey uh, with me and with our staff and with our elder team, leading up into our Commitment Sunday on uh, March 23rd. And we're going we're gonna to challenge one another to be involved together in something that is bigger than anything any one of us could ever accomplish on our own. I want you to know this, that I do believe, as I said earlier, that God has done some really great things at Northwest. David warned me, don't start telling stories, because if you start telling stories, like, you're going to go way over your time. So in the spirit of the guy that I've known since he was in the fifth grade, I'm not going to tell you stories right now, all right? Because he told me not to, and I do what David tells me to do. But, but I'm telling you, God's done some incredible things. And I want you to know this from the bottom of my heart. I am humbled and I am privileged, not really to lead the journey, but just to be on the journey with you and to see what God will do over this next month and over these next few years. And I, I can honestly say this, to, I've, I've said it before and I want to say it again, that there is no place that I'd rather be, there is no group of people that I would rather be with or on this journey with than those of you that call Northwest Community Church your home. And uh, I want you to know that I love you, and I thank so many of you for the, the, the privilege and the trust that you've been placed into our staff and our elder team to care for your souls and for your family and to join us on this journey with a vision that says, hey, we want to be influencers. We don't want to just maintain. We want to make a difference. And then someday when we're old and we don't remember everything, God, just let us remember this, right, that we got to be part of something. And so Jude, the brother of James and the servant of Jesus, as he introduces himself in Jude, closed his letter by writing these words. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Let's stand together and pray. God, thank you for the incredible privilege that you've given us to be part of what only you ultimately do. We recognize we can only be irresistible influence when we 
experience the life-changing message of the gospel and we realize, we've come to realize in, in the book of Galatians that indeed that is all about you. For whatever reason, God, you've chosen to use these frail earthly vessels to do something and to be involved in something that's so much bigger and so much more significant than we are as depraved, sinful human beings. We don't think that that's strange because we read in your word that you love us so much that you gave your son to die for us, that you're preparing a place in heaven where we will forever spend eternity with you at your feet together. But God, up until then, we don't just simply want to occupy this planet. We want to be irresistible influence with the message of this gospel in this community and literally to the very edges of the globe. So God, over these next few weeks, I pray that you'd move in our hearts I pray that we would be generous like we've never been before. That our focus might be on eternal things like it's never been before. God, any lies that Satan might tell us, God, I pray that you would, uh, that, that you just trump over him as you're so able and capable of doing because you are the sovereign one. And I pray that we will indeed together, for the sake of the gospel, accomplish great things in this community and around this globe. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.